Amen. Well, happy Easter, church, as you're having a seat, if you would. If you have a Bible, you brought your Bible with you. You can grab it and open up to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. Great job, band. Thank you all very much. Um, so glad that y'all are here with us. I'm going to do something uh, that I always do at Easter, and maybe because I'm uh, what's called a recovering Baptist, and this is just what we did uh, when I grew up in a Baptist church, but we always say this, he is risen. He is risen All right, that was pretty good. I think we can do a little bit better. I know we've got kiddos in here. We've got a lot of our children. We're so thrilled that you're here. So kids, I want to hear you especially loud when we do it this next time, okay? So we're going we're gonna to say it with some excitement, like we're really thrilled and excited and pumped that Jesus is out of the grave. Can we get behind that? Ready? Let's try it again. He is risen. Awesome. Great job. Well, good morning and happy Easter, church. Thrilled that you're here. The tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. And there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That's the good news of Easter. Better news does not exist. Better news for us does not exist. And because of the resurrection... Because of that hope, life now for us as Christians has tremendous meaning. That's tremendous meaning. It has tremendous hope. And now because of the resurrection, death is no longer an enemy to us. Our greatest fear, our greatest opponent, death is no longer something that looms over us with trepidation and fear. Our greatest problem has been solved. And so if you're new with us, I want to especially say welcome. Thank you that you came and decided to spend your Easter morning here with us at Providence North. We are thrilled that you would choose to do that. I know that's a big deal and we don't take that lightly. So welcome. We're glad you're here. But I want you to know if you're new with us um, that every week at Providence North is like Easter. Because every week, literally every week, we celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection. We commend the gospel to everyone each and every week. That is where our hope lies. That is where our foundation is laid. And so every week we celebrate an empty tomb here at Providence North. That is what we're built on. And so this is like a culmination of all the weeks leading up to it where we get to celebrate the reason we have great hope. And the reason we have great faith in God is because the tomb is empty. And we do that each and every week. So today is the day that we celebrate the greatest victory that has ever been accomplished. The greatest victory that's ever been accomplished. And like Josh mentioned in the welcome, this is happening all over the country and it's happening all over the world. We join with the nations for 24 hours straight, based on the axis of the earth, the celebration of an empty tomb. It's the greatest victory, the victory of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, that death has been defeated. Jesus has defeated our greatest opponents. What are those great opponents that God has defeated in Jesus Christ? He defeated sin. That was Good Friday. Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. He defeated that. It's no longer master over us. Its chains have been loosed for us as believers in Christ now. God defeated, Christ's death defeated the opponent of God's judgment. As a Christian, we believe that on the cross, 
the judgment of God was poured out fully onto Jesus. And we no longer now have to stand in judgment for our wrongs, for our sins, for our uh, iniquities, the Bible, the Bible calls them. All that wrath was poured out on the back of Jesus on the cross. So God removed that obstacle from us. And third, he's defeated our great opponent, death, by raising Jesus on the third day. And the Bible teaches that when we come to Jesus by faith alone, through grace alone, in the work that he accomplished for us, and when he rose again on the third day, that we are now bound up in that new life, that we have that resurrected life, and death no longer controls us. It no longer is a fear over us. And so today we celebrate the victory of all victories in Easter. In the empty tomb. And so what I want to do today is I want to, we, we typically, if you're new with us, what we do at Providence North is we preach through books of the Bible and uh, we walk verse by verse. And so I want to do, uh, walk through a very short um, account of the resurrection of Jesus. The shortest one that we have is in the gospel of Mark. Mark is very punchy. It's very fast paced. And the entire resurrection story is in eight verses in the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to look at these eight verses as Mark's gospel depicts the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I'm going to read them for us. And then we're going to unpack them quickly this morning. Mark 16, one through eight. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. This is Jesus. He's already died. He's been crucified, and he's been laying in a tomb. So Mary, Mary and Salome bought spices so they might anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Well, what we see in this first Easter morning here in Mark's account in Mark chapter 16 is we see something historical. We see something deeply, deeply personal. And we see something that demands a response from those that hear from those that see. So the first thing we see is something historical. That first Easter is a matter found in human history, church. Each of the Gospels tells the story of the women followers of Jesus going to the tomb on Easter Sunday, and they find it empty. These women are witnesses to Jesus' death. They're witnesses to his burial, and now they are witnesses to the empty tomb. Each of the Gospels 
shares this account with these women. Mark's account is brief, but it's powerful. And notice in verse 8, the angel says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, a real historical person. A real person who was publicly crucified in history. A real person. And that same Jesus, women, that you saw on the cross that was crucified and died and his body taken down off that cross, you will see him again. You will recognize him, the angel says. Verse 7, go see him. You'll know it's him. Go to him. You'll find him in Galilee. So he's not a church. He's not a spirit. He's not an emotion. He's not a figment of their imagination. The risen Lord is not wishful thinking. He is a risen person. Jesus, the risen Christ. He's conquered death for his beloved, the church, and for the glory of God. It's rooted in history. He is a real man. Mark 16, verse 1. We're going to continue through this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may go and anoint him. The Sabbath was the final day of the week for the Jews. It was their celebration, right? And so this puts the resurrection on Sunday, which in case... You were ever wondering, like I did when I was younger, why do we worship on Sunday? Because of this. Jesus rose on Sunday. We celebrate the risen Lord on a Sunday. This is why churches gather and worship on a Sunday, because he is risen on a Sunday, the final day of the Sabbath, the resurrection day. And it's a picture also of the dawning of a new creation. It says that these women went to the tomb with these spices to anoint the body of Jesus. This was an act of love. They loved their Lord. But of course, they will fail at this funeral errand that they were on because there is no body in that tomb, that first Easter. These women do not think that Jesus has risen from the dead. They go and fully anticipating that they will find the body of Jesus there. They bought spices to anoint the body as was tradition to honor the dead and those that they loved. And they knew they had to get to him. But they've got a big problem ahead of them. Verses 2 and 3 says this. And when the sun has ris- had risen, it says when the sun had risen, who will roll away the stone in front of the tomb? Who will roll the stone away? These women are not anticipating a risen Christ at all. Their concern is, how are we going to move this huge stone they put in front of him? How are we going to get to him? They knew they, we've got to get to our Lord. We've got to honor him. We have to love him in this way. They can't ask their big band of strong commercial fishermen that followed Jesus around on as his disciples. They're noticeably absent in this story, aren't they? All the men. They're in hiding. More about them later. They're wondering, how are we going to move this stone? How are we going to do this? Where are the guys at? But these women march toward their Savior to show him love and honor, even in the face of personal harm. Those that align themselves with Jesus uh, were in hiding for a reason, because their necks were on the line too. These women said, we're going to him, even in the face of personal harm. And Mark tells us that 
It was a dawning of a new day. It was very early in the morning. And so it tells us that these women, they can see clearly. They know where they're going. There's no mistake about the wrong tomb, about the wrong place. It's not dark, right? They know where they're going. They're walking in the daylight. They know exactly what they're doing. It's a new dawn. It's a new day for them. It also symbolizes this dawning of a new era in human history, as Mark writes it. It's this beautiful symbol that sorrow will last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And there is going to be a tremendous amount of joy for these women. And there is going to be a tremendous amount of joy for many, many, many more who would receive this good news by faith and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, this, this stuck with me in a profound way this year, more so than in any other years. It's, it's one that maybe we, we often read over, but it says this. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. They were concerned about how they were going to get to Jesus. How are we ever going to show him and honor him and give him our love? All of their concerns are answered. All of their anxious questions vanished. The impossible work ahead of them of getting to Jesus because of this great barrier that was far too heavy for them had been accomplished for them. God did what we cannot do, what they could not do for themselves. That's the story of Easter. God did it. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to work real hard at it. They didn't have to earn their way back toward him. God did it. These ladies, these women are witnesses of glory. They're not workers for glory. We don't work our way back to good graces toward Jesus. The story of Easter is that the stone was rolled away by the very hand of God. All of our fears, all of our anxieties about I'm not worthy to go. How am I going to overcome this barrier to get to him? God does that work for us in Christ. That's the great news of Easter. The gospel is not work hard and God will love you. The gospel is the good news of the stone rolled away on your behalf. The work that you could not accomplish has been done for you. That's Easter. That's very good news for us, church. They don't have to work. They watch. They're witnesses of the majesty, sovereignty, and glory of God that first Easter morning. And they witness that the stone has been rolled away. And it says in verse 5, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And so these brave women, they walk into this tomb, They walk into an empty tomb, and rather than seeing what they thought was the body of their Lord, they see an angelic messenger in a white robe, and it says they were afraid. I think that's the understatement of the century right there. I find this remarkable. These women are amazing. The disciples have betrayed Jesus. They've left him. They're in hiding. Their lives are in danger because they've aligned themselves with this man, Jesus. And here are these women, unafraid of the harm that may come upon them personally by going to Jesus on that first Easter morning. So they're unafraid of all of that, like the disciples were. But here it says they are afraid of something. Here it says they are afraid of something. 
What makes them afraid, what makes them in awe, what makes them astonished is the spiritual. They see an angel, a messenger in a white robe speaking to them of all things. Now, this is no uh, cartoon angel, right? It's not a guy in a, like a diaper on a cloud playing a harp or a banjo, whatever cartoon you may be used to. This is, it's not like that. It's not this weird sort of cultural sort of thing that we may have in our heads. When we read stories of angelic messengers coming down and interacting with human beings, there's always one response, fear, trembling, people falling on their faces because we're not even worthy. This would be an alarming sight. And they see one of these messengers and they were afraid. And this messenger has a message on that first Easter morning. Now remember, even when the Bible talks about these messengers, it's the same ones around the throne of God singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They never stop saying that. And one of these is here in that empty tomb on that very first Easter morning, and he has a message. And the first message is this, and I love this. This is a great message. We could preach a whole sermon on this. We could do a whole sermon series on this. Relax. Isn't that good news just right there? Relax. Calm down. Don't be alarmed. God, in his grace, in his great moment of triumph, when we are shaking in our boots, when we are fearful, when we don't know what lies ahead, when we don't know where the next step might lead us, he speaks a word of comfort to his people. Isn't that beautiful? He speaks a word of comfort to these first ones that go into the empty tomb because they are so anxious. He says, calm down. And then he gives them a mild rebuke here almost in Mark 16, 6. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He says, he's risen. He's not here. This Jesus of Nazareth, this real historic person who was crucified in history, whom you saw die, he is not here. Did you not listen to him, ladies? Did you not hear him? What are you doing on this funeral errand? Why are you coming here with these spices? This is not a time to mourn. This is a time for rejoicing. All that he said that's going to come true will come true. Do you not believe him? This is a time for rejoicing. This, one theologian said, is the ultimate of ironies. And I love this. I thought this was so, so good. Um, he says, so often the living are consumed with death. That's us, right? Just consumed with it. Like, we think about it. We're preparing for it. We're thinking about how do we avoid it? How do we, like, it's just where the living is consumed with death, but the crucified one is consumed with life and giving it to those who fear death. The ultimate of ironies right here, coming to full bear that first Easter morning. And the one in the white robe gives a message of hope. He's risen. He's not here. You're not going to find him here. And he gives a word of evidence. See the place where they laid him, right here. This is where they laid him down, his dead body. He's not here. Come check it out. You know where they put him. Look at it. Examine it. He was put here. He's not here any longer. What happened to him? Church, faith in Jesus requires faith, but it is not blind faith. It's not a blind faith. 
It is a reasonable faith. It is a reasonable faith. This is a continual historical story of a real man named Jesus of Nazareth. And here at the very first Easter in the empty tomb, the gospel is preached for the very first time by an angel in white. The good news of the gospel is preached for the very first time at the very first Easter by an angel in white in an empty tomb. It's not just a nice story. This is rooted in history. The first time the gospel is preached is in the very tomb our Lord walked right out of. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said he would. Just as he said. That's the gospel message that changes lives by the power of God. That's why it's good news and not good advice. The gospel is not clean yourself up, be better, look better, sound better, polish yourself up that you might please God to enter into his presence. The gospel message is good news because it's already been done. Jesus did what we could not do and could never do for ourselves. It was accomplished by his death and by his resurrection. Now he says, come by faith, empty hands of faith. You can bring nothing. You don't need anything. Nothing will impress him. The work that Jesus did is enough. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples. And notice this. I love this. This is something personal here. And Peter. That he is going before you to Galilee. And that you will see him. Just as he has told you. Why does he point out Peter? This angel in white says, okay, Mary and Mary and Salome, go tell the disciples and tell Peter. He stops and mentions one by name that Jesus is going to Galilee. There you're going to see him. Just as he told you. He points out Peter. Do you remember what Peter was doing a few days earlier? Peter was denying ever knowing Jesus. Peter crumbles under the weight of fear. Peter denies Jesus not once but three times during his greatest time of need. And here, after Jesus is risen, he invites Peter back into the fold. We see the grace of Jesus right here. We see the faithfulness of Jesus here. We see the forgiveness of Jesus here in this invitation to Peter. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter just as he told me. He told you. That's his faithfulness. The resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee that God is faithful. His words are true. It validates all the words of Jesus and assures us of God's love and all the benefits we have coming our way because of our risen Savior. The resurrection is a receipt for us, if you will. This grace is personal. The disciples had turned their back on Jesus in his darkest hour. They were nowhere to be found. They were hiding in fear for their lives that first Easter. Jesus tells them, I'm going to see you guys in Galilee. It's not over for you. You're not too far gone. You're not too far gone, church. We have grieved him and strayed from him a thousand times over and over, haven't we? 
haven't we? Yet he loves us. Yet he loves us. He doesn't tell him this. Tell him to meet me in Galilee, and I'm going to settle the score with those boys. I, I, I know what they did. I saw they turned their back on me. They weren't there for me. They weren't even there at the cross. Where were these guys? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He tells him, meet me there, and don't forget to tell Peter. This is a picture of the gospel. I think we can insert our name in there. We're, I'm unworthy of the call of Christ. We can insert our name here in this Easter message of the gospel to come to Jesus. He tells his disciples and Josh. He tells his disciples and Ashley. He tells his disciples and Jeff. He tells his disciples and Katie. He tells his disciples and Izzy. He tells his disciples and Jonathan, right? You can put your own name in there. Come to me. You don't have to be afraid. We don't deserve to be included, just like Peter, and yet we are by faith. Here we see, catch this, very first Easter, the foundation of the Christian faith. The foundation, resurrection and redemption. Right here. Resurrection and redemption. His great resurrection and our great redemption for our sins and trespasses against him. He defeated what we could never have. Luke says that to those who have been forgiven much, now love much. When we grasp the love of Christ and the redemption that we feel, we can now pour out the love of Christ in our lives. And this is exactly what happened to Peter because we have the rest of the story. If you go read some of Peter's letters, he writes things like this in 1 Peter 5.10, calling God the God of all grace. Peter understood the grace of God. He was so undeserving. And yet we have his letters in the very word of God that Peter now saying, he's the God of all grace. Of all, I am the most unworthy. And yet he said, come meet me in Galilee. Easter tells us that our salvation is not determined by our past but, or by our work, but by Jesus' past and by Jesus' work. We're included. Church, catch this. We're almost done. Don't just be stirred up emotionally by the grace of Jesus. Be changed by it. Be changed by it. He calls them to Galilee. This is where his disciples began their ministry, where they started their ministry. And this is where Jesus is calling them back now to give them their final instructions. Mark 16, verse 7, he goes on and says, There you will see him, just as he has told you. Once again, Jesus' words come true. He told you he would be crucified. He told you he would be buried. And he told you he would rise again on the third day. And guess what? Jesus' words are true. Jesus always gets it right. He always tells the truth. Verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Notice these words, trembling at the resurrection, astonishment at the resurrection. It had seized them. And then they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. These ladies, they're trying to put it all together. They're overwhelmed. 
Now, we know the rest of the story. We know that they will eventually go and tell. We know the Great Commission is coming later in the story as Jesus will meet them again. But initially, they're stunned, and you would be too. This is a big deal. It's a resurrection. They don't know how to comprehend what's going on. They go in with full anticipation to anoint the body of their Lord, the one they've been following, the one whom they loved, but he is gone. And there is an angel in white sitting in the, in the tomb. And they're shocked. And the angel says, go tell everybody, and they tell nobody. It's almost comical. It is comical. All throughout Mark's gospel, if you go back and read it, it's this fast-paced gospel, constantly during Jesus' ministry, he does these miracles. He's like, all right, guys, don't tell anyone. Just kind of move along, and you don't need to tell anyone what just happened. And they go tell everyone. And here, the angel at the very end, they say, the angel says, go tell everyone. They go tell no one. That's humanity in a nutshell right there, I think. I mean, that's, it's just, it's almost, it's comical. That sums all of us up right there. Hey, go tell everyone. No, I'm not telling anyone. Don't tell anyone. I'm telling everyone. I mean, that's just, that's funny. And that's how Mark ends. That's how he ends this gospel. Now, verses 9 through 20 are not in our earliest and best manuscripts. Most believe that this is how Mark ends his gospel, on a cliffhanger, on purpose. The ending of this gospel is to provoke a response from the reader, meaning, what are you going to do with this news? The empty tomb. Jesus is risen. He's going to Galilee. You will see him. The good news of the gospel. What will you now do with this news in the angel in white saying, go now and tell? What are you going to do with this? Mark is wanting to elicit a response. The Bible is prompting a response from us. We must go tell about Jesus, not only his resurrection, but his whole story. Remember, the gospel story is primarily about Jesus, but it's not just about Jesus. The gospel story is also about you and I following Jesus, about you and I obeying Jesus, about you and I aligning our lives for his purposes and his glory as his disciples, called and loved and chosen and adopted sons and daughters now, not because of our own work, but because of this work, the resurrection. Now, what are we going to do with it? How will we respond? And so we're left asking this Easter, what will you do with this? What will you do with the news of the empty tomb? How will you respond to the risen Christ? Church, let's let the grace of Jesus at the resurrection not just stir you emotionally, but let it change us. Let it redirect us. Let it call us into new areas of faith and belief that we didn't think were possible. Trust him in the areas that he's calling you into. Let the gospel change you. Let the empty tomb change your heart. Let it change your mind. Let it change your life. That's what God wants. He wants us to move us toward him in deeper faith, in deeper trust in his work accomplished for us that we might now live. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you that the tomb is empty. We thank you for that wonderful good news. We thank you that even if we have doubts and anxieties and we, there are many unknowns out in front of us, how will we roll the stone away? How will we get to you, Jesus? Uh, my sin is too much. 
I've stumbled too many times. Thank you that Easter shows us that you've accomplished everything for us in order to get back to you, God. Where sin separated us, the blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection now unites us back to you. God, I pray for those in here this this morning that might not know you. I pray that maybe for the first time that they might run to you. Lord, not by any works that they've done, or maybe they feel ashamed to go to you because of the mounting sin in their lives that they stumble over, over and over and over again. Lord, help them realize that that is all of our stories. But in your goodness and in your grace, you sent the perfect sinless one who not only died for our sin, but he conquered death and now gives us life. May we not be so concerned with death, but may we, with empty hands of faith, receive the life that you promise us because of the empty tomb. And may it change us. May it shape us. May we never be the same. Thank you that your grace does that. May you do that in our midst, as you have done for thousands of years. By your grace alone. In Christ's name we pray.